Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Peacock is streaming your favorite shows. Movies, live sports, breaking news, exclusive originals, and every live WWE pay-per-view. It's The Office. Chris Lee knows best. And Peacock original shows like Funky Brewster. Peacock. Watch for free. Upgrade for more. Stream now at PeacockTV.com. Mirror man, mirror man. You twist and turn my mind until I don't know who I am. Mirror man. Welcome to episode 24 of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. We're doing this live from New York early in the morning. We've got our coffee and I've also come armed with a mat. Hi, Pete. And an Alfred. Fired up, ready to go. There's more energy in this room than uh, a weapons cave in North Korea. How's that for an intro? Is that Pretty right? good, yeah. There's, there's a lot of uh, firepower. Excellent. What an analogy. So current, so current. We have a lot to get through today. Um, but we're not gonna we're not gonna kill you all with misery because I think that everybody's been suffering hard over the last few weeks uh, because the transfer window hasn't been uh, very special. It's been such a poor transfer window that even David Ornstein has written up some stuff on Twitter that's very interesting that we're going to talk about. But I think there are some other things that we want to address today, uh, namely, how do we line up this season? Um, uh, the, what did come out of the transfer window is that we have a complete mess of a squad now. Players wanting to leave, players wanting to break through, players wanting to sign new deals. So that's going to be fascinating this season. Um, we are going to take on David Ornstein's comments because they're fascinating. Um, and we're going to have a bit of advice to our old friend. And we're going to look forward because Bournemouth is coming and that presents itself uh, an opportunity to kickstart this horrible, horrible season. But before we get into that, before we get into that, Matt, it's our favorite part of the show. Maybe not my favorite. Maybe Alfred's, though. It's my favorite part of the show. So, Matt, tell us, uh, tell us some famous number 24s to get, the, uh, to get the spirits going this morning. Yeah, thanks, guys. Well, it's there's uh, there's some there's some great names down here. Um, you know, the first number twenty four we had was a guy called Mark Flats. Do you remember him? 
I, I know the name. I don't I don't specifically remember his uh, his playing style. Is he a no, very Regista? fast, generally ineffective, never really broke through to the first team. Then we've got a group of the number 24 shirt was actually the second goalkeeper for a while. So we've got some second goalkeepers here. Maybe maybe we'll decide who is our favorite second goalkeeper out of these. John Lukic, he was obviously a first choice goalkeeper at one point, but George Graham bought him when he was number was he England number one? And David Se- and then he bought David Seaman and then they said, Why did you do that? And he's like, I'd like to have the two best goalkeepers in England. God, imagine that. Someone oh focused the on ambition. Someone focused on defence. Richard Wright. Such promise. Well, he was bought in that transfer window uh, ahead of the 97-98. No, it was, it was ahead of the... 2001, where we yeah. went crazy and we bought... Uh, we like, bought Franny Jeffers, Richard Wright, Sol Campbell. Gio Van Bronckhurst. All those players. The only one that really made an impact in the first team was Sol Campbell. But what there, was, signing there was a whole sense of optimism, wasn't there, around those players. And it shows, even if they're not actually first-team regulars, having a strong transfer window can give everyone a boost. Manuel Almunia. The less said, the better. Okay, fair enough. Um, Vito Manone. First team for... Is he still first team for Sun? No, he didn't. He got ousted by Pickford. Don Vito. Yeah. A guy who is quite polarising. Some say he could have been the greatest midfielder of our generation, some say he was, he was uh, Wenger just gave him far too much leeway. Abu Dhabi. Oh, Abu Dhabi. I still kind of check up every two or three months how he's doing and where he is and, and what's going on with him. I, I can't let go. Such a nice guy, oh, Alfred. Arsenal has had a lot of players over the years that have had one game that's led to five years of hope. I'm thinking like Chamberlain in Milan, Jack Wilshere Barcelona. in Barcelona, Diaby versus Liverpool, Archivan against Liverpool. It oh. shows how desperate we are for <laughs> yes. a world-class performer, that you can do one world-class performance in an Arsenal shirt and get five years of love and adulation from the fans. Who says we have shit fans? Ugh. Yeah, We're des- we just want to love. We just want to love. And finally, the revelations today suggest that he wanted to leave in the summer. And who can blame him? I would probably want to leave as well. Hector Bellerin, our speedy right right fullback slash right wingback now. My favourite Arsenal player. My favourite player on the left. Well, he's a very good player. But clearly things are not right at the moment. And I think we've seen that. At the beginning of this season, he hasn't been his usual self. We thought it might be the hair. A lot of people thought it was the hair. A lot of people pointing to that. But actually, he just probably hates Arsene Wenger. Just didn't, just didn't fancy it. Didn't fancy it. Anyway, we're trying to keep this upbeat. Trying to keep. Okay, this number twenty-four is not not a great bunch, but you know, got he got strong ending, strong finish, strong finish, like Arsenal last season. So, Pete, I saw on Twitter. Yesterday, that you were being called the bright Bart of Arsenal blogs, which is quite astonishing and uh, quite the accusation. If we are the bright Bart of Arsenal podcasts, David the objective Oracle Ornstein from BBC must surely be the opposite. 
He never speaks unless he has facts. Every Arsenal fan in every transfer window know that the only person they need to follow on Twitter is him. But still, we follow about 100 others. And he seems to have gone off on one, a little bit of a rant on Twitter, probably following the fact that he was told by the club that there was no money. And then there suddenly seemed to be money. So he was made to... um, he he looked like he'd been lying, which is which is not the Ornstein we know. So he wrote this morning a little bit of a rant, which which was quite astonishing. It's definitely confirmed that Lemar was a key target, even though he was obviously not until the last day of the season. Wilshire decided to stay, apparently, which was big news. Shiru seemed to be leaving. And then Paris was told to stay. And then Sheroux said, I'm staying. And then Paris was told to go away. Defector Bellerin came back from the under-21s and said he wanted to go to Barca. Oxlade, a.k.a. Shambles, said no, no, no to Wenger, who, who said go, go, go. Get rid of Sanchez to finally go for Lemar. And Arsenal is the new Leicester. Kronke is desperate to win, he says, but he won't pay for it. What I thought, though, was the most astonishing thing about this whole rant was that we never even discussed a CM until apparently there was internal rumbles that we needed one, and Wenger tried to address it in the last few days. How do you feel about the revelations that there is still no centre midfield thinking at Arsenal, Pete? Well, firstly, I'd like to address the Breitbart critique. Uh, If having the narrative of Arsenal bang on for the last 10 years makes you Breitbart, then fuck me. We are Breitbart.com. Okay? This is, a, this is the squealing left bitching because LeGrove was right. LeGrove has the right narrative and it always has done. Um, but we can get off uh, being triumphant about a failing Arsenal because that's not the message that I want to put across. But I, 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 the, the revelation that Arsenal weren't in for a centre midfield, I don't think was much of a, a revelation. I think that if you're not linked to players and the press don't know about it, it's generally because there's nothing to know about. Like Agents, uh, if, the, if you're linking your player to Arsenal, are looking to shake out other bigger clubs uh, to come in with bigger wages. So they're trying to put people um, on alert. And I just think that like, overall, I think that Arsenal, Arsene Wenger's plan for the summer was, um, was to retain talent and do minimal shopping elsewhere. I don't believe for one second that he thought going into the season that we had a weak centre midfield. He's shown it consistently um, over the years that he's not been paying attention. And I've been writing about it uh, like since like maybe March, uh, but I've also written about the same thing for maybe the last two or three seasons. Uh, Santi Cazorla was the biggest loss to Arsenal last season because if we'd had a, a 40 game a season Santi, there's no doubt that we would have finished higher um, than fifth. And arguably... Um, if we'd had a fit Santi the season before that, I think we would have won the league. I, 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 for me, that's that's not in question. Then on the other side of it, Aaron Ramsey uh, is inconsistent. He's never fit. And Arsene still doesn't know what his best position is. Uh, so the, to, the idea that we went into this season, again, relying on Santi Gazzola to come back to fitness and relying on Aaron Ramsey to, to put in a shift this season is absolutely farcical. Um, we needed uh, somebody that was, uh, that, that, that was young, but not too young. 
Uh, we needed somebody that could like replace some of the skill set that Santi brought in um, and uh, somebody uh, that could bring a bit of magic and, and fight into our midfield. And sadly, we didn't get any of it. But it's not a surprise because Arsene Wenger just can't see, uh, he can't see the light these days. Matt, we now know for certain that Oxlade tried to leave and he did leave. But Wenger was very upset about it and offered enormous pay package for him to stay. How do you feel about having that confirmed? Well, first of all, I think the money we got from uh, for Ox was extraordinarily good. Uh, that money for Ox was good even if he had a few years of his contract left. So to get it when we were slightly over the coals is, is really good business and pretty remarkable considering our recent track record of selling players has been so poor. But for me, I think we've really we've been really stupid because... We've clearly ignored Ox and the transfer negotiations while we've been fawning over Sanchez and Ozil for the last two years. And everyone's been saying, oh, Arsenal haven't even started negotiating with Ox. And for some reason, we just thought, Ox can't do any better than Arsenal. He'll be fine. He'll sign on. He's a good, honest British pro. We'll be fine. And guess what? You know, it was an affront to him and his advisors that he wasn't seen as integral to the future of Arsenal. So we were talking about it earlier and we were saying, you know, from, from what we've heard, his salary was around uh, £57,000 a week. And at the beginning of the summer, he was offered 80000 And by the end of the summer, it had sort of uh, gone crazy and he was being offered 180000 And it all just reminds me a little of the Theo Walcott situation uh, a few years ago where we lost Van Persie and Fabregas and we couldn't be seen to be losing another first-team player so soon. So we gave Theo 100 grand a week after a few good performances. And guess what? We still haven't been able to get rid of that guy. So the first thing is, it's amazing that we were prepared to go so over the odds to keep him. And it just shows how much of a shambles, um, to use Ox's nickname, that uh, things are that um, he was prepared to turn down £180,000 a week because there is no way that Liverpool are paying him £180,000 a week. He's probably left a lot of money on the table because he is so desperate to be coached properly and to be part of a team that he feels can be a winning team in the future. Yeah, agreed. He's he's potentially left um, £60,000 uh, on the table, I think he. I think he. Um, he's got 120 grand a week at Liverpool. Uh, from some of the rumours on on the internets, he he was going to get 180 grand a week if he stayed at Arsenal when we hit the Champions League. But he, he, without the Champions League, he was still being offered 165,000 a week. Um, and I think it's uh, uh, Norcroft of uh, the Sunday Times. Uh, just to quote um, his article. Um, Arsenal offered more. His stance was more of the same. They came back with more again and he didn't change. Two weeks ago, an incredible contract worth close to 180000 a week was put in front of him. He couldn't believe the largesty, uh, but hadn't they been listening? It's not about the money. Only after a heart-to-heart with Wenger did the message finally get through. And on Monday, he abandoned a summer-long stance that the player was not was 100% not for sale. And Liverpool opened negotiations. The, the uh, uh, amazing thing here that you just lent on there is that uh, he's he's left Arsenal taken a monster pay cut um, almost uh, a, a pay cut 
he's taken a pay cut larger than the salary he was on last season mm. to join Liverpool, to join Klopp, to work with a coach who's going to understand his skill set. And I, I, I know that you say that 35 million is great business. And for Arsenal, it's great business. But uh, for the Arsenal fans saying it's a waste of money, it's like Jurgen Klopp is no mug when it comes to signing the right sort of players. And nor is Conte. And both of them came in hard. So there's, there's, there's clearly a lot of potential yeah. in that player. And I just wonder whether this is going to be one of those name, names that comes to bite us in the ass. And I think one of the biggest pieces of irony is the revelation uh, from David Ornstein that the meeting where Wenger and Ox finally realised that he was leaving, Wenger was apparently very vocal and very upset and angry that... Uh, Ox was walking away from him. And I look at that and I say, over the years, how many times have we heard Wenger say that the player needs to do what's right for the player and for, and, and for his own personal development rather than take the money, you know, in opposition to the likes of, you know, the clubs that he doped as being, uh, you know, part of financial doping. And yet here he has a player who, you know, fits his sensibilities perfectly, who is saying it's not about the money, it's about um, personal development. And it's interesting to see Wenger on the wrong side of that argument. And uh, one more thing to layer in that wasn't in the David Onstein piece, but I've been told by uh, numerous, uh, numerous people in and around the club that Arsene Wenger doesn't have incredible personal relationships with these players. And nothing says you're not listening or talking to your players quite like not realising until the last week of the transfer window that one of your star young players wants to go and, and play at another club. It's like, what, have, have you not been talking for the last two years? You, it, it feels like it's only just come on the radar, like you, like, like you said at the, at the top of uh, the piece, that um, they spent all the time focusing on Ozil and Sanchez and forgot that there were other players in the club that could offer something. So, um, like, fascinating turn of events. And I have an enormous amount of, of respect for Oxlade. I talked a lot about when we were at the, the darkest parts of last season, how the only player I thought had a spine was Oxlade, who always applauded the away fans and who did everything for Arsenal that he could, played in, what, seven different positions, etc. And Rafa Honigstein said on some pod, I'm not sure if it's totally football or football weekly anymore, that he had talked to a senior squad player uh, in Arsenal who said that Chamberlain wanted to leave because he thought at this point of his career he needed coaching. He actually needed to be told what to do to become a better player. And that he feels so strongly that you can't become a better player at the most crucial part of your career is sad and it's really 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 sad and it's it also says a lot about the players that have stayed for so long and that they have never had the guts to actually leave so I have an enormous amount of respect for Oxlade and the fact that he took a pay cut in order to actually train with Klopp you know the the more sense the, the most sensible option if you wanted to to win trophies would probably have been Chelsea there he would have stayed at Arsenal for the money, but he actually went to Liverpool for the manager and for Klopp, which again is goes back to the point that Liverpool is the new Arsenal, that Liverpool is starting to sign players above market value because they have an attractive coach. So maybe the saddest part of what David came out and said this morning was the fact that the club now identifies with Leicester and points to it as an example of 
quote, success being achieved without exorbitant spending. For me, it's just incredible that we even reach to Leicester and not to uh, a Dortmund or an Atletico or, or at least some club that is just second tier where I think we should belong. We are now comparing ourselves and setting expectations and the ambition of being a third or fourth tier club that maybe could have a shot at winning the league at one point. Uh, I know that you've been sad in the last couple of pods, Matt, but this this surely must bring a tear to your eye. It was. Uh, it, it does bring a tear to my eye. I saw one comment on Twitter saying, we're now comparing ourselves with a club that named their stadium after a packet of crisps. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, is, 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 is certainly a depressing way to start the week. But I think, you know, you look at the teams who have won the league against all odds. Um, and one of them doesn't even really count. I was thinking about Blackburn Rovers was an aberration, but they did spend a huge amount of money on the Jack Walker. Then you've got Leicester City. But these, other than that, it's the same teams winning the league every year. It's Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea, and, to, and, and further back, Arsenal. And... The reality is you can't expect to do the same thing over and over again and get a different result. And that's what we're doing. We are now relying on a fluke season to give us the Premier League title that we so crave. And that is just what is so sad at the moment. Yeah. And my big thing about the Leicester is, uh, is what does it mean? Like when you when you say, uh, not you, obviously, but when uh, the Arsenal behind the scenes say we can do a Leicester, like that doesn't mean anything. Uh, it's the same when uh, Arsene Wenger talks about uh, the club's values, but it doesn't mean anything. It's just it's just a word you're banding about. Like for for me, when uh, when Wenger when the clubs say that they want to do a Leicester, they're saying that they that they see it as a fluke, an accident, and it's not a strategic like it's not a strategic thing to say like we should be looking at clubs that are doing interesting things that we can borrow from. So what's, what is the Juventus strategy for success? They, they don't spend money really. Um, uh, Morata identifies uh, value in the market uh, and, and he signs it up. So Juventus tend to try and sign players towards the end of their career um, that still have a little bit left um, in the tank. And we've seen that in Pirlo. We've seen that um, in Vidal. We've seen that in a, like uh, Bonucci, um, Danny Alves, yeah, D- Danny Alves, um, and then they 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 then bring in like super talent like Dybala that will like kick them on and do incredible things that they can sell for a hundred million later on down the line. Then you've got Monaco, so Monaco have a really interesting model where they sign the elite youth that sits out of like the tier one. So uh, a lot of the players that moved this summer were not. 100 million pound signings from Monaco like how much did Mendy cost um a few a few seasons back look at all of the players that they brought in like look at who they brought in this summer like Tillemans for 25 million euros that guy will be a 100 million pound player in uh in in two years and then you've got like Ragnik um who runs Leipzig and you know their vision is to sign 17 to 22 year olds and then develop them and sell them on like um, Naby Keita but there's there's no there's no vision for how we want to win the the Premier League, to just say like Leicester, which was essentially a ragtag bunch of uh, players that just gelled all at one time, put in the season of their life, is is not a vision of who Arsenal should be moving forward. So my my big thing is that we don't have a manager or a director of football that says this is what Arsenal are going to be. We're going to be 
Dortmund plus. We're gonna we're gonna steal. We're gonna gazump Dortmund. We're gonna gazump Leipzig. We're gonna gazump Monaco. And we're gonna sign up the best young players in the world, and then we're gonna see how they go. Some of them are gonna be worth 150 million. Some of them aren't going to work out. But you know what? We'll always have a young, exciting team uh, with a developmental manager, and that's going to be our approach moving forward. And I think that that's the, uh, that's the thing that's missing with the Leicester comment. Because we used to have that philosophy, didn't we? we used to, that, was, that was the hallmark of an Arsene Wenger team. And I think it's re- – and even, you know, we look at Project Youth, as it's now uh, fondly called, and whilst it didn't absolutely work and we never won the league doing it, at least you felt there was a plan and at least there was a sense of pride when you were talking about what we were trying to do as a football club with Project Youth. Then it was the British core, but at least there were ideas there. And now it feels like we're in this sort of quagmire, sort of a mix of a load of different philosophies. And that's probably the main reason why we as Arsenal fans feel so rudderless. Yeah, and I think it's a brilliant point, Pete. Luck is not a strategy. It is not a strategy. And if, for me, it's really kind of, I don't know, the real low point of this summer, hearing that that's now the vibes at the club. How can that be moralizing to any of the players going into this season that your manager is hoping on luck as opposed to skill or or a roaring fire in their belly, so to speak? Because, yeah, shambles, as Ramsey said. So that marks the end of an exciting part one. And as we usually do, we are going to take a trip down memory lane. But it's not going to be that far back. It's actually going to be about three months back when Arsene was asked whether Arsenal should hire a director uh, this of morning, football. There was another a name linked with a potential director of football role here. Is it, is it your understanding that the club are going to make that appointment, a role? No. So you don't think there will be a director of football here under any circumstances next season? Director of football, I don't know what it means. Is it somebody who stands on the road and directs, play right and left? I don't understand. I never could understand what it means, director of football. Because there's been talk about a, a restructuring of the club. No, 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 sorry, no. There won't be anything like that. Look, I'm uh, not prepared to talk about uh, that. I think uh, I'm manager of uh, Arsenal Football Club, and as long as I'm manager of Arsenal Football Club, I will decide what happens on the technical front, and uh, uh, that's it. Okay, so the transfer window is firmly shut. I think we all know what we think of how that went. But, you know, we've got a whole season ahead of us. We're only three games in. Arsene Wenger still thinks we can win the league this season. And just because I'm bored of all the negativity, the question that I really want to pose to you guys is how can we get some feel-good factor back into the team this season? We still have a collection of very capable footballers in this club. We know that we haven't quite found a structure and formation that is getting the best out of them. But let's look beyond the Ozil and Sanchez sagas and think about what you'd like to see uh, in terms of the formation and players that can actually propel us to have an interesting season. Alfred. Well, I think one of the things that we really need to sort out, especially with Ox gone, is to get some of... Arsenal back into the team. And I think you do that with Jack Wilshire. And his fight in the under-21s, when he basically punched 
that that player the other the other week. And ironically, you're only suspended in the under twenty one league. You're not in in actual Premier League. That punch was for me kind of like what could get us back in it. So I would in the base of midfield pair Jack with Jacker. I would bench Özil. And he should be the luxury player that he actually is. He should play at home and he should be thrown on to make a difference away. And I would put Ramsey in number 10 where he wants to be and where he doesn't have to uh, be under the sort of extreme criticism that he's under when he's up in the number 10 position, even though he shouldn't be. And I would do, yeah, Sanchez on the left, and I would play around with who could fit on the right. And I would have like a set up front. But I do think we need to get both physically someone with a spine back into our spine in order to uh, to reignite us this season. I think that Jack Wilshere comment is an interesting one because I don't think there's many Arsenal fans who could have seen the clip from the game uh, in the under 21s or under 23s uh, when he lashed out at the Manchester City player who basically went through him um, and not smiled and been happy that finally here was someone sticking up for the Arsenal shirt and showing a bit of bottle. I I, I think that. And um, it reminded me of two big moments, two, two moments that have spurred Arsenal onto greatness. The brawl at Old Trafford under George Graham and... Martin Keown jumping in Van Nistelrooy's face, which went on where we went on to be unbeatables. And for me, it's when Arsenal are at their best, they can't be pushed around. And we have for too long had a soft core and seeing behaviour like that, for me, is a positive thing. Pete, do you agree? Absolutely not. Have you guys lost your mind? (laughs) Honestly, listening to you two go on there. Jack, Jack Wilshere played in the under-23s, and he shoved a boy in the face. He shoved a teenager in the face. There was nothing brave about doing that. It was like knocking a child over. That's not going to reinvigorate our premiership season. Oh, what, what is in, what's in the Dasani you're drinking right now? Oh, I, but I, okay, so I, I, don't, I don't disagree that Jack, you know, having Jack Wilshere in and around the place um, might, might be a positive. But look, the, 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 guy, the guy switched off the last uh, few seasons. He doesn't care. He couldn't even get into the Bournemouth starting eleven. And you think that he's going to rescue our season. I think we should be focusing on players that can um, maybe offer something different to our side. Look, the, the playing, playing the, the sparkling football of the early 2000s is not what this Arsenal team is, is, is going to succeed at this season. So maybe we've got to have a look at um, having, a, having a year where we, we, we shore up the defence, where we have a more solid base for midfield. And maybe we do try something different. Like I, I genuinely think for the next few games, maybe having a, a, like a sort of deep block of Velneni and Coughlin might be interesting. I definitely um, agree that Ozil should be benched. I don't think he's been particularly good this season. He hasn't shown um, a will to fight for the team on the pitch and he hasn't signed a new deal. So he should be, he should be so low down the priority list. So if, if Aaron Ramsey is the great hope that we hope uh, he, he could be, let, give him a, give him a go in that number 10 uh, position. Cause you know what, when he, when he plays for Wales, 
He looks electric. He was brilliant the other night. Uh, he looked uh, invigorated. He was causing problems all over the pitch. Um, and uh, at least he'll show some fight in a different way. And I don't, I don't think the, you know, the fans are like, oh, God, English fans, they just want passion. You know what? Yeah, we do, we do want passion because that's, that's what you do need to, uh, to show on the pitch. And if you can only contribute to final third statistics, but you can't contribute to the defensive duties of the team, then you're a weak player. And I think that um, you could motivate Aaron Ramsey especially going into the last 18 months of your contract, to be the player that he wants to be. Like, he's 26 years old now. If he doesn't make it happen at Arsenal this season, he's never going to make it happen. Um, but I do disagree on one other thing. I, I'm, I would bench Alexis for the next month um, based on uh, his performance uh, in the transfer window. I don't think that it's a good idea putting him in the side because it shows weakness from Arsene Wenger. Um, and I think that the team could work out goals without having him in the lineup. And I think we've got to send a message that this year is a stepping stone to the future and we can't uh, cling on to players that are definitely not going to sign on. I don't think that sends out a good message. So, Pete, that sounds to me like a very sort of George Graham-style approach to uh, the Arsenal team. You know, you've got your imaginative, creative proposal of a double block with Coquelin and El Elneny. You've got really getting to grips with a sort of contract dissenter and benching him for a month in Sanchez. You know, could, could we adopt even more of a sort of a George Graham principle, but maybe one that he took when he first came to the club, which is to give uh, some interesting youth prospects a chance and try and get the fan base excited about some younger players who really embody what Arsenal should be about. Could you, could you see that? I'd, I'm very, very excited uh, about Reese Nelson. I know that we always find a player in preseason uh, to, to to think that it's going to be the it's going to be the next big thing. But from everything I've read, um, Sancho, who went to Dortmund, and Reese Nelson are, are the are the most exciting prospects in British football um, at the moment. And I think giving him a chance to to take the space of Chamberlain could be really interesting. Uh, I think that Awobi has shown a lot. Um, last season and I think that um, if we managed his fitness properly he looks like he's bulked up a little bit this year um, give him the opportunity to flourish and then see if there's anybody that's coming through the ranks like what's like it could Rene Adelaide uh, bring something to the table is is Nate uh, Nate Miles I'm not saying it properly it's too early in the morning like could he bring something to the table will Rob Holding flourish can we get Bellerin back in his real position and teach him how to defend this year I think there's a a lot of exciting opportunity to be a team that tries to compete for the top four. And uh, I would I would use this season to invest in players that actually want to be at the club rather than use our season and hope that there's some goodwill and that Ozil and Sanchez might just sign up in a moment of weakness. So, Alfred, a lot of that conversation was more around uh, the offensive part of the team. But obviously the biggest issue that we faced in recent seasons has been the the defensive side of the game. What would you be doing in terms of the defence? Would you be sticking with the uh, Chelsea-adopted back five or would you be switching to a a more Arsenal-esque back four? I would definitely switch back to the back four. I saw a few games where we managed to to do the five with the wing backs but quite frankly I think the person who we need to have back there who cannot play as a good wing back is Bellerin 
he really suffered as soon as we introduced that system. And that's why we started playing Oxley there in the first place. And I would go back four, I would have Kolasinek on the left, I would have Bellerin on the right, and I would hope that Mertesacker still had a season in him so we could see Koscielny and Mertesacker back in action with a very good substitution uh, in holding. We still have Monreal and we, we, can, we can sit deep and have a really good back four there. Mertesacker and Koscielny. It's like 2014 all over again. Okay, so that's some advice to uh, what we would be doing around our lineup. So uh, we're going to come to the end of this highly energized podcast. Uh, I think that uh, it's good that we it's good that we managed to take things to the next level of positivity. I feel like those rose tinted glasses are coming back on. This is going to be the last season for Arsene Wenger, so let's enjoy it. Let's hope he puts on a bit of a show. Let's hope he brings some of that youth through, uh, and let's hope that we can like turn it around and start getting some results at Bournemouth, guys. Hopes uh, hopes for the season, short and sweet flummoxed the two of you <laughs> hopes of the season like do you like where where, where are we going to finish what do you want to see like what's going to be the key takeaway what's the headline of the season i mean the word hope there really threw me off um hopes for the season i mean still like i think we do really well if we finish top six um the next two years is about not ruining arsenal and i'm saying this like in a positive way and i think this is you know we are indulging Wenger here and it's I feel you know about the last transfer window it's not as much about what we how we strengthen this summer it's how we're setting ourselves up for a massive failure next summer with Ursula and Sanchez gone who do we have to attract top talent to the club I mean who would you come to play with and why would you come to play under Wenger so I do think that this is just all about salvaging at the moment, about keeping good momentum, about looking young and fresh and exciting as a team, about looking like we have a little bit of a plan. So my hope is is kind of that we we do pretty much as well as we did last season, but with better spirits and more optimism about doing so because this is the new Arsenal. Matt, I think it's too hard to look right now about what the whole season could hold I'm sort of more focused on the next two or three games two games really because next weekend we've got Bournemouth at home which obviously you can't not beat Bournemouth at home if you're Arsenal Uh, but can you I mean I'm already looking forward to what the atmosphere is going to be like at that game with everyone walking in uh, with uh, two defeats so early on in the season Um, We probably have enough to get by Bournemouth, but then we've got a very daunting trip uh, to Stamford Bridge the week after. And if we get a hammering in that Stamford Bridge game, then our season implodes all over again uh, because we'll we'll have lost all three away matches and probably by a fair number and we would have conceded a shed load of goals. And that is, uh, without putting too fine a point on it, the most likely scenario right now. You know, the FA Cup final was a fluke and we're much more likely to see the real Arsenal at Stamford Bridge. So we could be staring down the barrel of three defeats in our opening five games, some heavy defeats, losing to all our main rivals. And all the conversations that we're having today, we're likely to be having in two weeks' time. So my only hope is that we manage to get through those two games without a defeat and then hopefully we can use that momentum to start actually building 
a season because after that game, we've got a much easier run of fixtures. Uh, yeah, I think that that's a very accurate representation of where it's going to end. I I have I have two hopes uh, for the season. The first is that if it predictably goes south um, for the first three months of the year, Arsenal tell Arsene Wenger that the game's up and that he can retire and have a last hurrah uh, going into the summer where the fans are accepting that it's going to be a bit shit. But Arsene is a legend. He's done so much for the club, but he's going to be moved on. And the club start building towards the summer early, getting in a director of football, starting to talk to players, like trying to get plans in for how we want to play next season. The second hope uh, is a positive one. I hope that there is a meme that goes around uh, in, in maybe two months' time when Reese Nelson has had three man of the match performances and it's an Arsene knows meme and it's like Reese Nelson juxtaposed against Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain who's picked up a hamstring injury after a third terrible game in a row. So um, so some, some negative, which ends in a positive and just some outright positive. Anyway. Sounds like a catalyst for change. Catalyst for change. I'm back on it. Um, thank you for uh, attending this podcast so early in the morning. I want to say um, a big thanks to uh, co-host Matt. Thanks, Pete. And Alfred, thank you, Pete. So I guess we'll say goodbye. Um, listen, listen to the podcast, rate it, subscribe, do all of those things, and we'll be back next Monday. Ciao for now. Peacock Streaming. The biggest sports and live events on the planet. From Super Bowl 56. What a game this is. To complete coverage of the Winter Olympics. Streaming every event, every day. It's all the unprecedented. United States wins gold. Unstoppable. Sensational. Unbelievable. Sports to love. Sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.